Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Greg Brazil. I'm one of the elders here. I lead um, our North Campus. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, we are in First Peter, and uh, my, my guess, my, I guess my gut is that uh, thus far you have loved um, all that Peter has said uh, to us in this letter. And so uh, when Peter says things like, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, your heart just uh, kind of delights in that. When Peter says that uh, God has chosen you or God has elected you, and so now that God uh, has this indestructible hope uh, waiting for you in heaven, your heart rejoices over that. When Peter says that Christ was slain for you and that he is uh, now your cornerstone, your, uh, your heart delights in that. Even the holiness passage, uh, the radical call to holiness, you, uh, though it's hard, you know deep down that it's right and that it's good for you. And so my, my guess is that you have loved what Peter has said in this letter thus far to us um, until now, maybe. Uh, at first glance this morning, when you read this, you might have this sense of uh, this, this sense of resistance and kind of knee-jerk reaction to push back against this, uh, because what Peter's going to talk about this morning, what we're going to talk about this morning, um, is the topic of government. Um, what do what do Christians do when it comes to uh, government and political issues and presidents and mayors and city officials and tax laws and uh, all these things that come down to us? What do Christians do? Um, do we resist it? Do we uh, ignore it? Do we fight back against it? Maybe. Uh, but the first thing that Peter says that we should do is submit to it. Uh, we should defer to government. We should honor. We should respect. We should, um, in a sense, quiet ourselves and, and stop the resistance and submit to and obey and be subject to what government says. Now, there are, there's way more to say on that and a lot of issues that we're going to get into the sum uh, a bit this morning. And so, um, but first and foremost, the posture that, that God wants us to have toward government, toward um, whether it be city government, city officials, whether it be state laws or Supreme Court, whatever it is, we are to start with being subject to all that government says. Now, just breathe. I know that the floor just collapsed for many of you whenever I said that. So just breathe for a second. Uh, we'll unpack some of these issues. But I want to show you um, just how utterly good this, uh, this text is for us. I know it brings up all kinds of um, what-if questions, and it stirs up in us all kinds of emotions and all kinds of thoughts of, well, what about this scenario? What about these things? We'll get to some of those things. Um, but first, I want to show you that whenever Peter says to uh, to be subject or to be submissive, he sees that as a good thing. The Bible sees submission as a good thing. Now, we live in a very, um, very anti-authority culture. Any kind of authority over us, we just tend to uh, resist and recoil by because we want to be free. We want to be bound to those things. We want freedom. And so we think that by, by finding that, we have to resist uh, and kind of go against authority. But think about it. If, if you're actually, um, it, it, when you submit to something, you're actually finding freedom in some way. Uh, so if you play music, you have to submit to certain notes. Our band just submitted to all kinds of notes up here, but it frees them up. And so you can't rebel against certain notes and certain time and rhythm and rhymes, all these things. You can't rebel against that and play music well. If you're going to learn a language, you have to submit to grammatical laws and rules. You have to submit to linguistics and certain uh, just nuances and syntax and the way and vocabulary. You must submit to that, but why? To free you up to actually learn a language. 
Whenever you drive, you must submit to uh, traffic laws and stop signs and speed limits when there are cops around. Um, so you have to submit to, right? You're, but you're doing that, why? Not to enslave you. You're, you're doing that so that frees you up now. It frees you from, you know, all things being equal, from, from crashing and violating certain laws. It's actually freeing you. It's not restricting you. And so submission in itself is, is not necessarily a bad thing. You're actually gaining freedom. In fact, it's in resisting where you're actually enslaving yourself. And so if a, uh, if a fish rebels against water, it's not free. It's now a slave. And so it's in resisting, it's in submitting, it's in uh, deferring and honoring and giving in and showing respect. That's where you find your freedom. And I want to show you this morning uh, just how good and how timely uh, and just how winsome and thoughtful um, and just insightful this text is for us today. Now, I will say, though, this is going to challenge all of us. Wherever you land on political issues, whether you are kind of, you know, on one side or other, whether you're indifferent to this, this is going to challenge us. I don't care what your thoughts are um, on political issues, on government issues, this is going to challenge you. I sat this week about 25 hours with this text. Trust me, it is a challenging passage to, to navigate through. So you will be offended. So be encouraged by that. All right, so here's what, here's what Peter says, chapter 2. Uh, we're looking at verses 13 through 17. It'll be on the screen uh, behind me. Here's what Peter says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor." And so Peter's telling us that when it comes to government, that when it comes to uh, laws that come down, policies that are uh, put in place, when it comes to rulers and governors and senators and city officials and police officers and judges and courts and taxes and all of those things, that the Christian first comes under that authority and submits to it. The first thing the Christian thinks about is, okay, how can I submit to and obey this? The very first thought you should have when it comes to government is, how do I obey this? How do I submit to this? Because of what God has said, the Christian comes under this and says, how do I um, subject myself to this? Now, he's not saying that you agree with everything that comes down. Okay, because you won't. He's not saying uh, that you support or that you love or that you champion everything that government says because we want and sometimes we can't. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying, though, is that your posture, that your tone of voice, that your speech, that your posting on social media, that how you talk about this in the workplace, in the classroom, in your home, the way you posture yourself toward government must be one of submission and respect and honor. This is God's word to us. It's not what I said, it's what Peter, it's what God's saying through Peter here. So we have to get here. Now, you may need to grapple with this for a long time, uh, this, this day and this week, or possibly even the next several months, but we have to be able to get here. 
Okay, to be subject to, to be submissive to, um, in tone, in posture, to governing authorities. Right? It's God's word to us, and so it must affect at some point your demeanor and how you talk and how you think and your emotions and where you place your hope and your trust. All right, so Peter's telling us to be subject to this, and I want to show you how. Um, there, there really are, there are three things I think Peter shows us that if you, if you trust and love and believe these three things, you can submit to any governing authority. So number one, you trust that God is the one who ordains government. Uh, Number two, God has freed you in the gospel to submit to government. And then three, only God is worthy of our trust and our allegiance. All right, so if you know those things, if you know that God ordains it, that God freed you in the gospel, and that only God is worthy of your trust and your hope and your fear, you can submit to any government. And I'll unpack these. Let me first say before... We get too far into this. Let me give you this kind of one caveat this morning. So this, maybe this, this might kind of quell some of the already resistance that you might feel right now. Peter is not, he's not giving us um, a way to do politics. Okay, this text is not showing us um, where we should land on every political issue, what party to um, align ourselves with, or uh, where to land on foreign policy, or immigration, or tax laws, or he's not telling us any of those things. Those are very, very complex issues, and the Bible does not give us just simple, direct answers on them. So Peter is not telling us that, nor am I. I am not telling you um, where to land and who to vote for and what to align with. I'm not going there in this text. Now, we can talk later, but right now, I'm not going into this, uh, in this sermon. It's not Peter's intent here. It's not my intent, nor is it the Bible's intent. The Bible is not giving us a vision for how to do politics. There are lots of principles that we need to, to move into these issues with, But when it comes to simple, direct answers, we just don't have those. And so my guess is that many of you, you you lean more Republican, some of you lean more uh, Democrats, some of you are somewhere in the middle, some of you don't care, and the rest of you are just angry. So we're glad you're here. Welcome to the Austin Stone, okay? But I I say this because the danger with this is trying trying to align the Bible and trying to align Jesus with our particular political view. There's just a, historically we have seen what what happens whenever someone does that. If you try to kind of bring Jesus onto your side and say, this is where I land on all of these issues because that's where Jesus lands on all of these issues, um, we've stumbled off into, uh, into an error here. And so we can't tame him. Jesus is not the true and better Democrat. He is, or or Republican, or Libertarian, or whatever you are, he's not conservative, or liberal, or progressive, or moderate, he's completely other, and you can't just kind of rope him into your side. You know, he's like, uh, he's like Tolkien's tree beard. He's on nobody's side altogether. You can't, you can't pin him to one side. Uh, There's a, there's a place in Joshua chapter 6 where uh, the, the Lord appears to Joshua, And Joshua just kind of sees this man there standing there, an angel standing there, doesn't know who it is. And Joshua says to the Lord, he says to him, are you for us or are you for our enemies? In other words, are you you for Israel or are you for Jericho in that text? And the angel, the Lord just says, no. (laughs) Are you for us or are you for them? No. I love that. And then when it, comes to, when it comes to political issues, when it comes to all of these things we have to somehow learn to navigate and walk through, we can't just say, are you on our side or are you on their side? The Lord says, no. He, he won't play that game. 
And so when it comes to this, I think we have to be very, very careful here. So this is um, not a political vision. This is how to posture yourself toward government. It all has to start there. All right, so let me get into it. Number one, um, to, if we're going to be subject to the governing authorities, we have to believe that God ordains all government. All right, government is not the people's idea. It's not man's idea. It's First and foremost, God is the one who ordains this. Notice, um, notice two phrases that Peter will use here, uh, verses 13 and verse 15. Uh, I think this is vital to what Peter is arguing here. Look what he says. Notice how Godward Peter is with this. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. So not the emperor's sake and not the government's sake, but be subject to every governing authority for the Lord's sake. And then he says in verse 15 that this is the will of God. The will of God is that by doing good, you would silence the ignorance of foolish people. We'll get to that here uh, here in a bit. But Peter is showing us that by doing good, by submitting, you, you are actually living out God's will for your life. And so whenever you submit to government, you're actually doing this not for government's sake. You're doing this for the Lord's sake. You are living for and honoring his name and his renown and his glory. And so what he's saying is, is that God willed the government in place for you to submit to it. And Jesus is honored by you doing that. And so it's God's will, he says. God, government is God's doing, not government's doing. So all the rulers who are in place, all the kings, all the authorities in place, God is the one who put them there is what, is what Peter is implying here. So all those laws, all the emperors, all the taxes, all these things, God is the one who is actually willing all of those things. Now, I will admit, Peter implies that more here. Uh, Paul, though, says it explicitly uh, in Romans 13. Notice what Paul says in Romans 13. He says, let every person... Be subject, same word that Peter uses, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God, not by Rome, which is the world power at the time that Peter's writing, but by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So Paul is telling us that God is the one who appointed the government. And so when it comes to government, it's not appointed by people, despite what some philosophers and social or political scientists have said. It's actually appointed by God. Now, this is astonishing to think about this. The Bible is saying that all of those kings, all the emperors, all the rulers, all the governing, all the structure that's in place, God's the one who put that there. And so when it comes to uh, the ones who are wicked and shouldn't be there, or the ones who are righteous and should be there, every single one of them there were ordained and appointed by God. And to submit to government, you have to at least know that. Uh, Greg Forster, who is a uh, PhD at Yale, um, has written um, on, on Christians and government pretty widely, and he argues that, that no one in history has ever claimed this idea except for Christians. That, that no other religion has ever claimed that, that their God is the one that appointed and ordained government. And the Christians come along and they say, God is the one who did this. Of all the rulers, of all the emperors, of all the kings, God, they, they're there and they have power only because God allows them to. Only Christians talk like that. Nobody else in history, and by the way, they were the least likely one. They had no power in their day 
And they're talking like this and saying, this is, the, God is over all these things, and that's why they could submit and be subject. Because they could look above all of the emperors and all of the kings and all the wicked powers and rulers and authorities to a God who is sovereign over all things and who puts all of these rulers um, and emperors and governors in, in place. In addition, though, I will say God intended government for good. Um, there is a good intention that God has. Uh, uh, Peter says that he's, uh, there, it's there uh, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Government has, God, God intends a good intention with government. And the good intention is to restrain the heart of man and all the wickedness that he would unleash. And so imagine if there were no government and no laws and no prisons and no restrictions on anyone, life would be unlivable. So the book of Judges shows us that when there's no king in Israel, everyone just does right in their own eyes. Have you read that book? I mean, it goes Quentin Tarantino very quickly. I mean, it's bloody and messy when there's everyone's doing right in their own eyes. And that's the point here, is that God appoints government to restrain the heart of man, and government does, a, does massive amounts of good things. I mean, Uber's coming back. You've heard this, right? That's a good thing. There's some things you just can't live without, and government helps us to put those things in place. There are good intentions. It restrains the heart of man, the wickedness of man, and that's why God intends it. Now, um, my guess is the question that you have all had from the beginning is what about, what about unjust government? Sounds great to submit to good government uh, when there are actually good laws in place that are um, you know, thoughtful and uh, they're ethical. What about when it comes to unjust government and unjust kings? Is this just blind obedience? What if Caesar would cause us to disobey God? What do we do in that situation? I'll come back to that. Um, this, is a, this is a valid question, but let me just say for, for now, for here, the Bible only knows unjust government. If you've read your Bible, you know that when it comes to, to all the governments that either uh, Israel or you know, uh, the apostles or Jesus or Peter, all the governments that are in place in the Bible for the most part, are wicked and unjust governments. And so you think back to um, the nation of, of Egypt and Pharaoh demanding worship, demanding that everyone bows down to him. You think of, um, of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, who is, again, demanding worship. You think of the Assyrians and the Philistines and Nineveh. All of these nations are wicked and corrupt. Then you get to Rome um, and the Caesars. The Caesars are some of the most... Um, deviant, ungodly, corrupt rulers in the history of the world. Um, they often demanded worship. Um, they saw themselves as supreme and even divine. And so you may know this from just some of your, you know, historically that whenever a, a Caesar was born, um, they would send messengers all throughout the empire declaring gospel, declaring good news. The good news was he's here. The king is here, the son of God the new emperor, he's arrived. That's what happened. And by the way, um, Nero that Peter has in mind here uh, would eventually cut Paul's head off and crucify Peter, some scholars think, upside down. That's what we're dealing with here. And so the Bible, the Bible only knows unjust government. 
We, we just don't know this kind of corruption and this kind of evil and this kind of wickedness when it comes, when it comes to our government. So I, you know, I guess I would bet that um, of all the 45 presidents of the United States that at least one of them has said something or done something to offend you. It may not be a stretch to say that. Okay, they've said something that bothered you, that maybe scared you, that offended you, that just kind of, you know, your expectations just were, were let down, none of them um, have uh, cut off the head of Christians. None of them have killed any pastors for proclaiming the gospel. None have declared themselves God yet. They haven't. We just don't know this kind of, this kind of wickedness, this kind of corruption. So if, if, you, think, if you think that be careful here. If you think that, uh, that gun regulation laws is Christian persecution, you've not read your Bible. You've not. We have no idea. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that this is how it should be. I'm not suggesting at all that we somehow want persecution and, and want there to be corruption and want there to be this you know, unleashing of um, you know, laws and regulations on the child. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this is how... This is where Peter says to submit. This is the environment that Peter is talking and writing in and proclaiming the gospel in, and he's saying, submit to them. And so the church was able to thrive. In the midst of all this, they submitted and they obeyed and they bled and they died at times because they looked beyond all the emperors and all the kings to a God who is sovereign over, over all things, and they trusted him. And so if you know this, you, I mean, you really can submit to any governing authority. You can yield to any laws. You can have a posture um, of, of submission and a tone under any government. You, you can. You can pray for your leaders. You can respect their authority. You can wish for their good. Uh, you can seek to promote the good in this country. You can honor them because you're pleasing God, not them. You're, you're carrying out God's will, not their will. And once you trust that, once you know that, it, now listen, it, it may, at some point in our history, it may hurt. There, there could be a time when the government just begins to unleash all kinds of laws, all kinds of penalties um, on the church, on preaching the gospel. I don't know what's coming. I'm not trying to predict that. That might happen, but we can survive. If you trust that God is sovereign over all those things, then, then you can be subject and you can flourish in the midst of that. They may kill us, but they can't hurt us because our God is sovereign over all these things. That's the first point. The second one um, is that God has now freed you in the gospel to do good. Notice what Peter says here. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. So Peter's reminding us that, that we are free. We aren't slaves to government. We're, in fact, we're servants. We're slaves to God. And if you're a slave to God, you're not a slave to anything else. You are free from everything. And so God, in the gospel, has freed us. He has freed us from, um, from every earthly identity, every hold on your life. But he has freed us up now to use that freedom to do good and to honor and to serve. Now you're free from everything. You're free from the emperor, free from all government, free from all, all policies, all laws. You're free from all of that in order to submit and to obey. You see that? 
God freed you in this now. Now you are to do good and speak with kindness and and gentleness and have a submissive posture uh, to your life. Because you are now free in the gospel, we can't use our freedom to cover up evil. Now what does that mean? When Peter says, do not use your freedom to cover up evil, what does he mean? Well, think about it. Just, I mean, thus far in this letter, Peter has said some pretty amazing things about who we are as Christians. Has he not? Um, he said things like that we are, uh, we are God's elect, we are uh, a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood, uh, Jesus was uh, slain for us to ransom us and to free us, uh, he's coming back for us, there is this eternal hope in heaven waiting for us, he'll return and, and reveal all of these things where uh, we were once not God's people but now we, are, we now belong to him. And so if you think about it, if you read that and you listen to all of that, you might think, well, who cares about government? The, the emperor has no hold on my life. I'm free from all this. Who cares about the laws that come down or taxes or any of these things? We're free in Christ. And that's what Peter's saying here is, that is that's using your freedom to mask or to cover up evil. You're, you're resisting and you're shunning government just, you know, in general, because you're free in Christ. That's using your freedom to cover up for evil. And so Peter's saying to actually to do, to do good. Don't use your freedom to cover up these things. We're not anarchists. Um, we, don't, uh, we don't just demand our rights. We don't rebel against government. We don't just live in protest and just constantly combat everything that come down, comes down. Now, nor do we cower into a hole somewhere and just hope that Reagan comes back. That's not the plan for us, okay? Whatever your era was that you're in love with. So we, we don't just cower away hoping that things go, you know, go well. We actually speak. In fact, we speak a lot. We speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, we speak for the unborn and the poor and um, the orphan and the widow and the fatherless. We, f- we fight lovingly, gently for ra- racial reconciliation. We seek to do justice, to do good. We long to promote those things because we love, we love our country. We love what's, um, where God has placed us to do good, to be salt, to be light. We love um, all that God has given to us, and so we seek to promote the good. Um, there are so many things that America is so great at. Did you know that if, this is not my notes, so sorry. Did you know that if a zombie apocalypse breaks out, our government has a plan for it? You can look it up. I'm about 80% right on that. So I think there's, but there is some kind of contingency in place. You can go Google that later. Our government has thought of that. This is just a really amazing place to live and to promote the gospel. And that's our ultimate hope here, is to seek to do good, to advance justice, to speak up, but do so with a submissive and kind and gentle tone. Um, and that's why Peter says what he does in verse, in verse 15. He says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, what does he mean? Well, so at this point in history, Christianity is very new. Uh, it's, a, it's a new movement, and no one knows what to do with it. And so if you're, if you're Rome... Um, or any government, and this new kind of sect pops up, this new movement that's gaining a huge following is just popping up everywhere, and all this new information's coming out, what do you do? You investigate. You interrogate. You have some suspicion about this. So in the book of Acts, you'll notice that um, no one knew what to do with the church. Uh, There were times when um, they would mock them and laugh at them, there are times when they would actually join the movement. There are times when they would put them, some of them to death. Uh, there are times that they would go into certain cities and they would worship them. 
like Paul, the apostles were, they wouldn't know what to, they didn't fit into any category. And so they would not say, Christians would not say, Caesar is Lord. They wouldn't say that, yet they paid their taxes. So no one knew what to do with Christians. And so there's all this suspicion, all of this thought of, are they a threat? Are they dangerous? What do we do with them? And Peter's saying, be good citizens. Do not give them any reason to malign the gospel. Give them no reason um, to say foolish and ignorant things about the glorious good news of Jesus. So be a good citizen. Don't, Don't tell them, don't protest and tell them to shut up. Actually do good deeds that will silence them is what Peter's saying here. And so what he's saying is you are now freed up to actually do good and to posture yourselves toward government in this submissive way. So here's the thing. Um, How you posture yourself toward government shows how you trust the gospel. I mean, your your view of government as a Christian is going to reflect on your actual belief in the gospel. And so if you are, are constantly complaining and fighting and mocking and debating and protesting and arguing and posting all kinds of things on social media and always pushing back against the government, you are forgetting the gospel. You are forgetting that you are free from all of that. You are no longer a slave to those things. So you can actually now do good. Don't belittle the finished work of Christ on your behalf. He freed you. He died for you. He's your king. He rose in your place like he is for you and with you. And so now you can actually do good. Because right now, everyone in our culture is protesting and combating and debating and pushing back against our government. I mean, it is flooding the news and social media. Right now, everyone is so filled with emotion, so filled with anger, so just filled with hatred. And there's all kinds of divisions. Show a better way. If you know Jesus, show them a better way. Don't don't fall in line with those things. You are actually now freed up to do good. You can now speak with a tone that is winsome, that is persuasive. I'm not saying be silent. I'm saying speak up, but do it in a way that promotes the good, promotes unity, that promotes, um, that advances the gospel and all of these things. Don't fall in line with that. Don't say Barack Obama. Don't say Donald Chump. Just made that one up, sorry. You, you, can't, you can't say those things. You're actually now freed up from all of that. Don't fill your social media with just all kinds of complaining and anger and criticism and all, all just, just anger and all these things. You can actually now honor everyone. If you work in government, be awesome at your job. Seek to promote the good, work for justice, Work for reconciliation, show up early, work with integrity, work with faithfulness, show the world a different way. Because now you're freed up to do this, but also love the brotherhood is what Peter says here. So what he's saying is, let the church be the church. Let them see you loving each other, caring for each other, laying down your life for each other, pursuing each other, serving, caring. Let the church be the church. Let the world see that. Because that's what's winsome, that's what's compelling, that's what persuades people. And so if you, if you just somehow resist, if you cheat on your taxes, that's not a win for the kingdom. No one's compelled by that. Everyone's trying to somehow duck the government, protest against the government, all these things, show them a better way. The gospel has now freed you from all these things. And listen, Jesus will show us how to do this. He showed us how to do this. The kingdom, again, it is an upside-down kingdom. 
that the way up is down. The way to greatness is by serving. The way to live is by dying. The way to win is by losing. That's how the kingdom of God that you're in, that's how this kingdom functions, and so we must walk in this tension. Why are we so afraid of of losing and, and feeling inferior and looking bad from time to time for the sake of the gospel? Why don't we have to always appear strong and just exert ourselves? There is so much power in submissiveness and humility and brokenness and gentleness. The world has never seen those things. So let's show them that. Let's show them that way. Here's what Martin Luther said. I love this statement. He says, this is in his uh, book on Christian liberty. He says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject of all, subject to all. Number three, God alone deserves our worship and our trust. Now here's where, well, one of the commentaries I read on this said that in these last two commands that Peter gives in this, in this section, he's actually gently pushing back against the government. Notice what Peter says, the last two things, last two commands, fear God, honor the emperor. So right there, you see two kingdoms at work. You see God's kingdom and you see man's kingdom. You, you see two um, allegiances, two powers side by side, and they are utterly different. I mean, there's one that is eternal and everlasting and just and beautiful and glorious, and there's one that is not. There is one that deserves your absolute trust and reverence and fear, and there's one that does not. There is one that will one day fill the entire world as the water covers the sea, and there's one that will, like all kingdoms, like all nations, will fall. And so Peter is is, is gently kind of pushing back here and saying, you fear God, but you honor the emperor. He is nowhere on the same level that God is. You fear him. Fear means that we trust, that we hope in, that we revere him, that we worship God above everything else that we honor the emperor. He's not God. He is there only because God gives him power to be there. There's a place in Matthew 22, you probably have heard this, where uh, they're trying to trick Jesus into a political kind of you know, debate, and they say, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? They're trying to say, do you obey God or do you obey Caesar? Are you for Rome or are you for Israel? Like, who are you for? And Jesus says, bring me a coin. They bring him a coin. I've I've seen one of these, actually. We still have these today. Archaeologists have discovered these. There are um, lots of them. But there's a a picture, an inscription of Caesar on the coin. And Jesus says, bring me a coin. And he says, whose inscription, uh, that's what he says in the text, whose inscription is on this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. Now, what's going on there? Why are they so astonished that, that he says this? Well, think about it. Um, what, where is Caesar's image? It's on the coin. Right? So give Caesar where his image is. His image is on the coin, so pay the taxes. Uh, obey the state. Do what government says, but give to God what is God's. So what he's implying here is, where do you see God's image? It's on you. You, you give yourself to him. You obey the state, you do what the state says, you you obey those laws, but you fear and you revere and you trust and you hope in and you give yourself to God. Only God 
deserves your worship and your trust and your honor and your fear in this sense. What this means is that Caesar has limits. There are certain boundaries where God says, you can go here and no further. And so our government, when it comes to obedience, there, there are limits. And so when it comes to uh, Congress, there are limits for us. When it comes to Supreme Court, there are limits to how far we can go when it comes to our obedience um, as God's people. There, there are limits to this. And so we subject ourselves, we submit in every single way except for one. We do not submit, we do not obey when the state calls us in some way, through some law, through some policy, to disobey what God has clearly said. And that's when we gently, and I still think in a submissive posture, we, we resist. We, we humbly have to say, here's the line in fear and trembling, I can go here but, but no further. I must obey God and not man in this sense. And listen, it may cost us, but Jesus will be enough for us. Now look, you can't just make up what this is, by the way. We have examples of what this is in the Bible, so we see the Hebrew midwives not killing the children um, in Exodus. We see Daniel and his, and his brothers, his friends, um, not bowing down to the idols and the, uh, the, the statues there of Nebuchadnezzar. We see the apostles preaching the gospel and saying we must obey God and not man. We see examples of this. The line has to be absolutely clear. You can't just make this up. But, but this may have to happen from time to time for us. And if it hurts, then we just let it hurt. And if we suffer, then we suffer. We look to our Savior who will be enough for us. We are Christians first and we're Americans second. And that is a massive gap when it comes to our worship and our trust and our hope. And so we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be shocked by this if this has to happen in our, in our future. It should not shock us and astonish us if Christians are marginalized or questioned or our rights are taken away. It should not shock us. We need to stop being appalled when just some lawsuit comes down, some policy is enforced. It should not astonish us. We believe that God took on flesh and dwelt among us and lived sinlessly and died in our place and rose again. He lives in heaven right now and he is sovereign over all earthly powers and one day he's going to return on a horse to get us. That's going to get us marginalized from time to time. We're, we're going to get mocked and laughed at from time to time, so just know that. And here's the thing, our, our Savior went first when it comes to this issue. Jesus subjected himself first. So he looks, at, he looks at Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and says to him, you have no authority over me. You, you only have what's been given to you from above. In other words, I'm here because I'm, I'm letting you do this to me. I'm letting you um, deliver me up and arrest me and cry. I'm letting you do this. Jesus submitted himself to Pilate and to Herod and to Rome and to Caesar and to uh, the centurions. He subjects himself, but not because he was powerless. He has all authority, he has all power, but he is serving a different purpose. He is advancing the kingdom, he is fulfilling God's will uh, for his life, for our life, he is rescuing us, he is subverting the entire system through powerlessness. See, Caesar only lives for himself. Caesar only takes life, our king gives life. Um, Ed Clowney has said that that Jesus did not come with a sword in his hand, he came with, with nails in his hand. He came giving life, not taking life. 
He came to lay his life down, to subject himself, to submit himself. And once you know that, once that sinks down into your bones, you can submit and endure under any government, under any regime, under any, any policies that come down. You can obey what this text is saying um, because, of, because of him. Let me say two things, and I'm done. Um, this text, I think it exposes two errors that we have on this. One, um, that you can care too much about these issues. You can care too much about politics and government and, and wrongly place your hope in those things, and this text will expose that. And so this is some of you, some of you just, I mean, politics and government, it's, it's, maybe it's all that matters. It's your idol. And so you're constantly just on the internet and, and watching uh, television shows and listening to radio and podcasts and posting on social media, all these things. You're just so caught up in this, and you're just in constant strife. You're combating and your hope is rising and falling on Washington and you're just, you're not in a good place on these issues and you need to humble yourself and look at Jesus and, and let, him, let him soften your heart through this. To pour over this text and let God speak to you and humble you and kind of readjust where your hope actually is. Now the other error in this is that you can care too little. Some of you don't care at all about this. You have no concern for government and politics and what happens in our country, and somehow that feels spiritual. But Peter won't allow that either, because he says here to do good. He says to promote the good, to be good citizens, to actually care and think and pray for your leaders and actually promote the good to advance the gospel. And so we're, we are for our city, we're for our nation, we're for our government. We are people who are seeking to promote justice and the good and to adorn the gospel. And, and this topic gives you countless ways to do that. So I want to encourage you to leverage this conversation for the gospel, for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake, for his name and his glory and his renown and his kingdom for the Lord's sake, be subject to every human institution. Let me pray for us, and we're going to sing together. Father, we need, um, God, just a lot of help to think through this. <clears throat> Father, I... I pray that, that whatever's been said and, and heard, that the God that you would use this to, um, to give us peace about these issues, to trust that um, wh wherever we land on these things, God, that, you are, that you're with us, that Jesus, you submitted yourself to the most wicked government, to the most unjust, the only truly unjust uh, charges and accusations, and yet you did this. Um, for the joy set before you, you, were in, you endured the cross, you despised the shame, and you were resurrected to God's right hand. So Jesus, we look to you. You are our king, and we, um, our allegiance and our trust and our worship is to you. And so would you just, um, God, would you just awaken us on this topic? Would you um, do the work? Maybe we've not thought through these things at all. Would you... Um, God, just give us some space to think and to study and to listen. But God, I pray that, that ultimately, God, that you would use us in this city and in this nation for good. May we seek to promote the good and seek justice and human flourishing and most of all to advance your gospel. 
We know and believe that, that every kingdom will fall, but yours will stand. Yours is eternal, and you're the one that is uh, sovereign over all government, that you rule the kingdom of men, and you set over it the lowliest of men at times. So God, help us to trust that. Help us to trust that you are sovereign. Help us to trust that we are free. Help us to trust that, that we can fear and obey you and revere you over all things. God, would you encourage us and would you comfort us and would you stir us up and would you redirect us and would our hope and our joy be set on your son and what he's doing in this city and in this entire world? Would you show us what it means to be a church that is for our city, for the nations, and we long to see your son worshiped and treasured over all things? So God, speak to us, Father. Correct us, equip us, give us wisdom, give us insight. Um, to live out what you've said to us in this text. We pray all these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.